It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Athena Pataxel. She's host of a new podcast, Showgirls Life, featuring interviews with the showgirls sharing their stories of their former glamour days from the 1950s through the 90s. Athena was a principal dancer in Don Arden's Jubilee. For everything about Athena, go to showgirls.life and you can listen to her Showgirls Life podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And Athena, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I thought it was an interesting concept, and here you are, you have a background not only in just showgirls, but in dancing, and worked in Moscow. You studied with the Bolshoi Ballet at the age of 16, which is impressive, and then you came to Las Vegas with a contract with the Nevada Ballet Theater, and then you ended up at Bally's, first from the back row, and then you ended up becoming a principal dancer in a couple of years. So tell us a little bit about your history. Well, when I was 14, I decided I wanted to be a ballerina. As most 14-year-olds, they want to be a prima ballerina, and I was on the track for it. My parents had a dance studio, and they hired all the best teachers, and after I made that decision, that's when I went to Russia. I got a full scholarship to study for a semester, and uh, well, it didn't go so well. I hit puberty and became a woman. (laughs) (laughs) That can or cannot be a challenge, I don't know, because I've never was a ballerina, so you tell me. Right. So that was kind of a struggle for me was uh, I had curves and um, I was too tall, really, to be a ballerina. As most uh, most showgirls, actually, uh, most of their stories started in ballet and they had learned all the grace and the technique, but they just became too tall. And that was why I went on to be a showgirl, because that the, those were my people. And I should point out that you didn't just go to Moscow from some major metropolitan area. You were in Aurora, Colorado, your hometown. Yes. And you left there and and then traveled all over the world and went to Moscow. Yeah. And uh, all alone, too. My parents, (laughs) I think my ballet teacher just convinced them, like, this is really good for her. Let her go. Because they, I think they were very scared to send their daughter to Moscow after, I think it was five years after the coup. I believe the coup was in 1991. And I went in 1996. Well, I could see any parent being concerned about a teenage daughter traveling by themselves anywhere, let alone Moscow. So yes, yes, that could, yeah. be, could be the case. So when you decided to come back to the United States, were you in Moscow when you had the contract with Nevada Ballet Theater or did, was that after you returned was, from Moscow? Yeah, that was after. I did one quick show with the Colorado Ballet that following year when I came back and uh, that was for Western Symphony. They needed four extra girls for the Western Symphony Balancing Ballet. And so they hired me and my friends, and we did that quick run. It was, I think it was like two weeks of performing, which was really cool. And then I was like, ooh, I got I to get a real job, you know. So I auditioned all over the, the country, and again, the answers were, you're too tall. <laughs> and you had and, curves, according to you, as well. So that was, yes, that was yes. an issue. Yeah. yeah, so when I was hired with Nevada Ballet Theater, I went to Vegas and I auditioned, and I was like, well, this is weird. I didn't even know there was a ballet company in Las Vegas. And then the choices 
like I, I had auditioned for Miami City Ballet, and my dad was like, "That's the worst place to, to send somebody to dance is, is Miami." <laughs> and and then, then Vegas came up, and he's like, "That's the worst place." And I said, "Wait, isn't that what you said about Miami, Dad?" <laughs> so uh, I'm actually glad I went to Vegas because it kind of just it just unfolded into like the perfect scenario for me. And then how did you start with Jubilee? Because originally you were from the back row of the chorus, I should have said earlier, and I just said back row, but back row of the chorus to then principal dancer in a couple of years. So what was that process about? And did you ever meet Don Arden? Uh, so Don Arden had already passed by the time I got there. I auditioned in 2000 for, uh, for Jubilee. Um, I, didn't want to, the, I didn't want to prematurely age you there, Athena. Oh, so. no, that's okay. okay. I, I, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of my age. I wish that I was a little bit older because then I would have been in the heyday of the showgirls. <laughs> True. During the fun times. One of the former principal dancers at the ballet company came to company class one day and he said, you have to go to the audition tomorrow. They're auditioning. And they said, why would I want to be a showgirl? And I was very <laughs> against it at first. And Why though? Know, why, why, why particularly were you against it? Um, it? It was a kind of a mindset in the ballet company that if you went to the in, into the one of the shows, you were selling out, air quotes, selling out. So you were no longer an artist. You were just dancing for more money. And that was considered selling out in the ballet company world. Isn't that funny? It is. And yet you made the decision, despite that hesitancy, to okay. go ahead and audition. Yeah. Yeah. It was his, him and his wife. His wife was still principal dancer in the company. And they were like, no, you really just need to go. And then they told me about some of the other people that had left. Angie, uh, I can't remember her last name. Um, it's different now. She was a ballerina. And then Marlena uh, left the ballet company. And her husband also left the ballet company to go join the show. So it was just, there was, you know, so many people. And when Vasily Sulich, you know, he started the company, I think, 20 or 30 years prior. And it was taken over by a different artistic director, which had hired me. So he's no longer there. Yeah, but you, for dramatic, dramatic reasons. But did you enjoy, but, but did you enjoy it? Why once you started yeah, working there? I did not enjoy being a ballerina because I kept getting weight notices every week. You need to lose five pounds. You need to lose five pounds. And it wasn't as much performing as I thought it would be. We rehearsed for about six weeks, forty hours a week, and then performed maybe five shows, maybe if like we were lucky. Of course, Nutcracker season is always you know, weeks and weeks. I think we did three or four weeks of Nutcracker, five or six shows a week, which was grueling because it's Nutcracker and you're on point that pretty much the whole time. And uh, I just wasn't, wasn't really happy there. So I was, uh, you know, I considered going to the show and I was like, you know what? I'll be making almost three times what I'm making here. <laughs> and I will be performing full time. And so I did the audition and Linda Green taught the audition that day. She taught white principal disco. I didn't know it was the white principal disco at the time. And it was the hardest audition I've ever done in my life. The, the choreography is very intense for that particular number. And uh, they called me down straight away from the, the lineup. They have all the girls line up in high order. And they called me down and introduced me to Don in London, the head of wardrobe. And, they, and she took me downstairs to get measured. That was fast. So, it was very fast. Very few people had that happen to them. And uh, so from then on, I was like, okay, this is it. This is where I'm going. And from pretty much the 
first foot I stepped on that stage, they wanted me as a principal because I had the ballet technique, which Fluff loved. And Tell everybody about Fluff because a lot of yeah. people don't know who she is. Fluff Lacoe was the company manager, and she was the last of the legends that basically brought the French showgirls to Las Vegas. She was the company manager for a number of Don's showgirl shows. So she knew exactly how, you know, what his vision was, and she carried it through all those years. She was a stickler for detail and a legend at the same time. Absolutely. I I wanted people just to know who she was. When you made that move, though, you said you were under contract to the Nevada Ballet. So how did, did you have to wait for the contract to end in order to work at Bally's, or did they buy out the contract, or what happened? My, (laughs) the artistic director was my (laughs) father-in-law. Well, that helps. Yeah, he just let me out because he knew how miserable I was. Yeah, okay, well, that that, that can explain it. Okay. Yeah, so it it, it just worked out. It just worked out perfectly. And then I'll just fill in the the rest for our audience. So you retire from the stage at some point, and then you get into visual arts. You're working as a graphic designer here in Las Vegas and in other places as well. And now you're involved with an interesting project, which is something that relates to your former life, Showgirls. And we're going to talk about that in a, a second, but I was intrigued by the fact that For some reason, showgirls lately have been back in, not the news per se, but in the consciousness of Las Vegas and elsewhere. So I know, for example, that on September 14th, PBS aired a special, The Showgirl, a Las Vegas icon. And there's been other tributes to showgirls. Karen Fetter, for example, has the showgirl exhibit at the Nevada State Museum. And now here comes Athena Pataxel, who is now decided to do this podcast which is actually an interesting idea. You're talking to former showgirls and getting their story. Why did you decide to start this podcast? So last year, last September, was the Global Bluebell Reunion in Paris. Explain to our audience what Global Bluebell Reunion is. (laughs) One of the original Jubilee cast members, Lindsay Raven, and her husband and son have this website called Showbiz Friends. It's all for professional dancers. It's a social networking site. And they decided to put on a reunion to get all the Bluebell girls together. The Bluebells were a troupe of women internationally known. All over the world, Miss Bluebell was sending her girls. And they, Don Arden's shows used the Bluebell girls all the time. And she trained them up. She made sure they were all classy ladies. And they had... She had very, very strict high standards for her girls, which is why Don kept hiring them in all his shows. So uh, Lindsay Raven and her her husband decided to put on this amazing reunion in Paris in coordination with the Lido de Paris. And so basically we went to Paris, whoever wanted to go and see their old friends. And we watched the Lido show together. There were a couple of other activities, uh, meet and greets, so we could all connect and meet each other if we haven't ever met before. And, oh, there was a showgirl masterclass on the Lido stage, which was, I actually got to participate, which was so much fun. And what, it was on that stage where I decided I have to get these women's stories somewhere recorded. And that's when I decided to do the podcast. I had a woman, I just interviewed her a couple of weeks ago, she was 70 years old on that stage, and I just turned 40. So she was 30 years my senior and had danced in La Scala in Barcelona. She had danced in the Casino de Paris. 
show in Vegas and she's from Australia. And I was just flabbergasted by her story just a few minutes that we spoke on that Lido stage. And every single person I met was much older than me. And I wanted to give these women, uh, pay them tribute and have them share their stories because they're not being shared in other any other public forum. That's a great idea. And I just should point out to our audience that the Lido show was also at the Stardust here in Las Vegas, and then Casino de Paris was at the Dunes, and of course Follies at the Tropicana, where I used to work. So there were a lot, at one point, there were a lot of full production shows featuring showgirls in Las Vegas, and then of course it died off after a period of time and has never come back. Before we take our break real quick, do you think it'll ever come back, Showgirls, in terms of the, the way it used to be in terms of those production shows, or is it just too expensive? Or, t- or taste there's, change? There's, yeah, there's a number of reasons. And I've, I discussed it with Pete Menefee on his interview. We think that we've come too far into like the Me Too movement. We don't think that Showgirls are going to be revered and perceived the way they used to be because of the Me Too movement. And then there's the budget constraints. And Cirque shows are much cheaper to put on in the long run than a showgirl show. So no one wants to front the money for all of these glamorous, expensive costumes. So I'm not sure she'll be coming back anytime soon. Well, let's take a break. My guest, Athena Pataxel, is host of a new podcast, Showgirls Life, that features interviews with showgirls sharing their stories of their former glamour days from the 1950s through the 90s. For everything about Athena, go to showgirls.life, and you can listen to her Showgirls Life podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now, let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Athena Pataxel. She's host of a new podcast, Showgirls Life, featuring interviews with showgirls sharing their stories of their former glamour days from the 1950s through the 1990s. Athena was a principal dancer in Don Arden's Jubilee. For everything about Athena, you can go to showgirls.life and you can listen to her Showgirls Live podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So, Athena, you made this decision to create this podcast and interview as many showgirls as you could to get the history, as we discussed before our break. You don't think it's going to be coming back for a number of reasons, and it makes sense. So, you wanted to get as many showgirl stories together as you could. When you made that decision, were you still in Paris at the time, or did you had you returned to Las Vegas? Oh, we were still in Paris. <laughs> so I'm assuming if that were the case, that you were probably taking names and numbers and contact information in Paris, thinking about what you wanted to do. Yes. I, um, I was a silly little girl running around with, they had given us a souvenir book, and everybody's headshot that was part of the reunion was in the back of that book. And so I was having everybody autograph. So I knew who I had talked to because they had autographed. I got 112 autographs, and there were over 350 people there at the reunion. 
So I knew who I had to go home and friend on Facebook and reach out to. Well, not only that, but I would imagine that they had friends who were showgirls as well that who didn't attend the Paris event. Yes. So yes. they could give you additional references to get in touch with. Yeah, that's how I've gotten a number of my interviews is they're like, oh, you should talk to right. this person. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So do you have um, what I would call a master list of contacts of former showgirls that you can reach out to? Yes. <laughs> and I, I would think you're, I think you're never going to, the well is not going to run dry just yet. I, I think you're going to have quite a, quite a, a backlog of, of interviews to do just because of the numbers of showgirls that were in the business for a long time. I should mention too, there was the ultimate showgirl that was at the Tropicana. That was way before your time. And then probably the one showgirl who worked on stage the longest was Debbie Lee, and I wanted to acknowledge her because she was also married to Larry Lee, the entertainment director at the Tropicana, both great people, and she was on stage for many, many, many years. And so it takes a certain dedication to do that. It's not an easy job. People think it's an easy job, but can you explain why it's not an easy job? I know, but I'd rather have you explain. (laughs) Absolutely. I didn't dance at the Follies at the Tropicana, so I know that their dressing rooms were on the same level as the stage. Right. Um, I think the showgirls was just a little bit higher, but we in Jubilee had to climb three flights of stairs to get to stage level. All the dressing rooms were downstairs, and some of the costumes were downstairs, some of them were upstairs stage level, and some of them were on side stages. So we were doing a 1,000 stairs a night. In heels, right? Two shows, in high heels, yep. Two and a half inch heels. Mm -hmm. Plus you had the the weight of the costume and the headdress. Exactly, yep. And we could, we would be wearing jewels that some of the bracelets were lightweight, but others would be a total of 15 pounds between all four bracelets. You have upper arm bracelets, lower arm bracelets, and then the showgirl body chain. It's all metal and all rhinestones. There's no, and and there was some fabric to protect our skin from chafing and, and of course the cold in the winter, (laughs) but uh, the hats and the backpacks, they were all steel constructed pieces with feathers and fabric and rhinestones embellished on top of that. So the lightest hats were about five pounds. And then the heaviest hat in the show was 35 pounds. And it was just the hat. That was just the hat that wasn't the jewelry that went along with it. And that was a disco hat that Pete Menifee had designed. And then the heaviest backpack, which literally fits on your shoulders like a backpack that, uh, uh, Bob Mackey designed. It's the big white star. There's probably photos all over the internet of it. Um, that was 35 pounds. And you had to walk sideways like a crab wearing that costume. And yeah, doing doing stairs in those costumes up and down, you know, to do the big grand finale where all the women are just coming at you and they just keep coming and coming with all these beautiful feathers and costumes all designed by Bob Mackey. And, you know, we just made our rounds up and down the stairs. There were getaway stairs on the back and then we would come down the front towards the audience, and then we'd go off stage and go back up the, side, the, the getaway stairs again and have to be walking sideways like a crab. So not only was the stairs and the costumes, but we had to keep ourselves in good physical condition so that to prevent injuries, um, because well, we, we yeah. did also dance. Yeah, I would imagine that occasionally, even with all that preparation and exercise and, and the professionalism of all the showgirls, that occasionally... There had to be a mishap backstage on that on that stairway going up. Yes, I was lucky that I did not fall up or down the stairs. <laughs> right, some I'm sure some did, and that's got to be yes. tough. Uh, yeah, falling 
falling down the stairs when you're wearing fishnets, you basically have the worst road rash you've ever seen because yeah. of the fishnets. So um, I did trip backstage a few times. There's one story I have where it was a quick change from opening to disco, and there was a really thick row of cables that it was, in, I think it was a like end of the week. We'd already done 11 shows. It was the last show of the week. And, you know, you're just, it's hard to pick your feet up sometimes after you've been doing it, you know, all week and if you're tired. So I tripped on this big cable. The cable was like four inches diameter and it's there every night. And for some reason I tripped on it and I did a Superman dive. I literally flew in the air, landed on my stomach and then slid with the pink and orange opening costume on. And all I could do was just get up and laugh and keep going because I had a quick change. <laughs> I would imagine after the show, though, you were in a little bit of pain. Um, I didn't notice any. I mean, I was topless, so I might have gotten a little chafing, but <laughs> sliding on the floor backstage. But I had a good laugh. I, 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 I'm pretty skilled at the falling because of my flexibility. And I, the, the one thing I learned in all of my years as a dancer is just go with the fall. Don't try to stop it from happening. Just go with it because you will, you will survive the fall if you just go with it rather than trying to stop it from happening. Right. You know, either break the fall right. Or don't resist, go with it. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. So your project is an interesting one because not only I assume you're getting in contact with the people you met in Paris and in that book you have, and then the master list that you have, but Uh coming back to Las Vegas, there's a ton of people here in Las Vegas that obviously have that similar background. And I'm sure once you talk to a couple of former showgirls here, they told their friends who also were in the business, and you probably get people now calling you or emailing you or contacting you in one way or another to be on your list. Yeah, I had a friend of mine, I did her podcast or her episode a couple of weeks ago, and she posted on her Facebook like, oh my God, I just had so much fun doing this interview. And she shared the link. There's an application on my website to apply so that people can just you know, reach out to me and say, I want to be on your podcast. So I got Christopher Childers, who is pretty well known in Las Vegas and LA. He danced with Madonna and Paula Abdul. And, and then he wants to um, get me Jerry Jackson. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, Jerry Jackson was the uh, creator of most of the Fully Berger renditions. Correct. The, the reason I say correct, because yeah. I worked with him. So I know he was. Oh, he, right. you know, yeah, very brilliant yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Christopher, he says he has a call into Jerry to uh, basically tell Jerry, hey, you got to talk to Athena because she's it, it's just so much fun and what she's doing is awesome. So um, now I'm getting more people to, air quotes, do the work for me because it's, it's actually a lot trying to track down people, uh, especially if they're not very tech savvy, to try to do interviews with them. I had a woman who was 75 and she was very hesitant to do the interview because she didn't know how she didn't know what a podcast was in the first place. So I had to explain it to her <laughs> and then trying to get her to set up her technology. So that is kind of a barrier that we've had to figure out over the last couple of months of doing the podcast. Yes, I think you find it easy if someone is resistant to going on Zoom or Skype that you just do it over the phone and that way you've got them either way. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. because it's easier for them, they're more relaxed and you can do a a better show, I think, in some cases where they're, they're, your, your subject is worrying about the technology of it all. Right. So. And when it, one of these days, I will have a coupler like you do. 
<laughs> yeah, it does help. It does help. Of all the people you've interviewed so far, who's been the most interesting, or are there a couple that have been the most interesting in terms of their story? Oh, every time I do an interview, I'm like, oh, that was the best interview ever. Oh, my goodness. So the most recent one that I've done recently was Christopher Childers and just hearing his story of how he went from being a showboy to dancing with Madonna and Paula Abdul across, you know, dancing on the Wembley stage, Wembley Stadium stage with 80,000 people screaming at him. That that was just just an honor to talk to someone with that much experience in the industry. Um, Pete Menefee was an amazing conversation. He was one of the first people I interviewed and it just it was so much fun to hear his story about, you know, what he remembers working with Don Arden and just the the budgets and we, we talked a lot about budgets and, and the costumes. So that was that was a lot of fun. I have to ask you a profound question. I saved okay. it for towards the end because it may require a couple of minutes of discussion, but where do you put showgirls in the context of Las Vegas entertainment history? Oh, well, I think that they, they were the ones that started it. They, they were the main draw. They were the main draw for people to get to Vegas. That's what they were used for back, I mean, as early as, I think it was 58, when the first showgirls came from the Lido de Paris in Paris. And Would you say, though, that they were equal with some of the headliners of the time, but they were certainly a factor or a force in Las Vegas? I think that the showgirls were a nice complement to the headliners, because they actually, a lot of the headliners back in the day used showgirls in their shows. So I know that it wasn't Jubilee, I believe it was Hello Hollywood, Hello, some of the dancers did some of the headline headliner shows too. Like they would shut down for like like a week and have the headliner in there and then some of the girls would dance in that show. I think also that showgirls have become one of the faces of Las Vegas over the decades as well. What I mean by that, we mentioned about PBS and doing the showgirl of Las Vegas icon. Mm-hmm. They were icons because not just of the show that they were in, a particular show, but just what they represented, that this was something you really couldn't see anywhere else other than Las Vegas, pretty much. Right, right. I mean, there are showgirls in Paris, but they're just not the same. It's, right. It's just not the same. It's, it's so different. And there were showgirls um, in Cuba in the Batista days, yes. but it became institutionalized, I think, in a way in Las Vegas that was different from Paris or anywhere else. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, to just type in showgirls in Las Vegas and 2020, and that's, it's a Google search. People are searching for the showgirls, and they can't find them. You can't even find them in a souvenir shop anymore. Yeah, it's an era that has passed, but at the same mm-hmm. time, there are people who were in that era that are still alive. And what you're doing, in yeah. a sense, in your own way, is chronicling the history, the individual history, of these various yeah. showgirls. Yes, because it's, it, like I said, it's, there's no platform. Uh, most of the history being shared is about the shows themselves, which were the stars. The shows were the stars. And, you know, the dancers cycled through, you know, some dancers would be there, like Linda Green was in Jubilee for, um, I think it was like 23 years from the opening till she retired. But then there were other dancers that only came through for a six month contract. So the show stayed the same, no matter who came through the show, which was kind of a testament to the uh, longevity of the show. Yes. And and their, and their creators, whether it was Don Arden or 
whoever it was in individual shows. Right, exactly right. Yeah. But I want more of our stories to be shared because it wasn't an easy job. And there was life before that and life after that that I want people to know about how being a showgirl has shaped us as human beings and how we've gone forth in the world and share our our inner light, whatever tap into our inner showgirl, however you want to say it. Even though we're not wearing the feather headdresses and everything, it, there's something special about having been a showgirl and how we use that in all of our careers going forward. Well, I think that's a great way to end it. My guest has been Athena Pataxel. She is host of a new podcast, Showgirls Life. For everything about Athena, go to showgirls.life, and you can listen to her Showgirls Life podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And Athena, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah,